This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, July 15th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Medical Center staff calls for board chair resignation, Telluride looks to public-private partnership for new housing development, Pinhead shakes up science and booze at annual fundraiser, and a mountain weather forecast. Staff at the Telluride Regional Medical Center are calling for Richard Betts' resignation from the hospital district board. Betts was recently re-elected to the board and serves as chair. In a letter sent to Betts and the hospital district board on July 8th, more than half of the medical center staff call for his resignation, based on alleged verbal and physical harassment by Betts towards Dr. Sharon Grundy at the end of May. According to Medical Center staff, the incident was witnessed by Dr. Deanna Colliker. Grundy says as her complaint regarding the incident is active, she's not able to speak publicly at this time. This has been a really difficult last eight weeks for me. And given that the incident of May 28, uh, 2022, giving rise to my complaint, is presently before the Telluride Hospital District Board, while also in investigation stage with other agencies, I've been advised by my counsel not to publicly speak about the issue at this time. KOTO News reached out to Betts for comment. He was not available by broadcast deadline. The letter from staff states Betts's quote, harassing and intimidating behavior undermines the values of the med center and threatens the, quote, psychological safety and well-being of staff. Med Center staff note in the letter they are held to a code of conduct and harassment policy and expect the board of directors to be held to the same standard. Dr. Christine Mahoney is the director of primary care at the medical center and signed the letter. She says staff waited for the hospital district board to take action. When that didn't happen, Mahoney says they decided to call for Beth's resignation themselves. Our staff loves the med center. We love our patients. We love each other. Um, and our goal is to be able to come to work every day and feel safe. Um, and this um, letter to um, Mr. Betts and to the board um, is really about our overall concern over what is seeming to be tolerance of harass, um, harassment and intimidating behavior. Um, and if harassment can occur um, to the head of our med center, um, you know, no one really feels safe here. So um, we feel like it's our duty to protect um, ourselves and our patients um, so we can continue to provide the excellent care we do. Staff acknowledges as an elected official, those on the hospital district board are unable to terminate bets from the position, but expect fellow board members to urge him to step down. In the letter, staff says, quote, doing nothing will be perceived as passive endorsement of Betts's behavior. In a statement to staff on Friday, Med Center CEO Bev Schulman stated she is, quote, deeply saddened by a recent dispute, adding the board has called for Betts to step down as chairperson. Staff gave bets until 5 p.m. on July 15th to step down before going public with the demand. At the time of broadcast, Betts has not resigned from his position on the board. Med Center staff are urging the community to attend the hospital district board meeting on July 22nd, adding they may consider a recall election for Betts this fall.
The town of Telluride is considering moving forward with a public-private partnership for an affordable housing development on the Canyonlands lot next to Clark's Market. Through a public-private partnership, or P3, the town would work with a private developer to build and manage the housing with constraints set forth by the town. Here's land, here's maybe free water sewer tap fees. And so it's basically you're picking them because they can do those types of things. That's Program Director Lance McDonald speaking with the Telluride Housing Authority subcommittee earlier this week. They would basically own the asset with an agreement with the town that would say uh, you have to rent uh, X amount of units at this rate. McDonald notes a potential developer could, in theory, make the units for sale or for rent. For council member Geneva Shawnette, the P3 model is ideal for getting more units on the market with less financial and time investment from the town itself. There's deed-restricted housing out there that we don't have to manage, we don't have to build, we don't have to deal with. When it comes to what requirements the town may put in place for a developer, McDonald says they should likely identify a range of units or bed density and if or how much free market space a developer can include. Seanette again. I'd rather do a a free market unit than than tourism-related commercial. I'm cool with a free market unit. I think that's going to be the carrot. The subcommittee acknowledges allowing some free market space would likely be necessary for a developer to deem the project a solid investment. But in general, members of the subcommittee are in favor of keeping the options open. Here's council member Dan Enright. I'm open to letting developers propose a lot of things and then we can come back and see. And I don't want to limit the potential number of uh, responses. Enright adds Telluride should look to other examples of public-private partnerships to determine the best way to move forward. We're not the first ones doing this. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can take these examples and make sure that we um, get the, we have the end product that meets the goals that we want. The subcommittee did not come to any final decisions at the end of the discussion, but it plans to continue discussing how it could structure a public-private partnership for affordable housing. The local STEM nonprofit Pinhead is used to putting on science programming for kids. This Saturday, however, it turns the powers of technology and innovation to the 21-plus crowd. With a profile on the Science of Cocktails event, we go to KOTO's Gavin McGough. Shaken or stirred? That's just the beginning at Pinhead Science of Cocktails fundraiser. How about a drink mixed by low-frequency sound waves or flash-chilled by dry ice? This Saturday night at the Transfer Warehouse, eight local mixologists present an original cocktail with a science story and contend for awards in people's choice as well as a judged competition. Chance Van Cleef is representing the Mountain Lodge at Telluride at the event. Our cocktail is called The Pollinator. It is based on bee pollen-infused pisco. It's actually sous vide, uh, which is in a water bath at 130 degrees uh, to give us a nice, refined, fresh flavor, not overcooked. Uh, and a few other components that I will save for the surprise tomorrow. All the mixologists are volunteering their time for Pinhead's fundraiser. This is Van Cleef's first year entering. It, it sounds a little daunting. Uh, you know, we're up in Mountain Village and we're playing in the court with all these amazing restaurants down here in town. But I'm excited for the camaraderie. Like, I'm not, I'm not worried about winning or losing. I'm, I'm really more interested in, in stirring up the competition and hopefully bringing something 
crazy to the table that inspires people to do something different or insane next year. Telluride certainly has its fair share of high-end bars and cocktail programs. But when Ellen Levin won the competition in 2019, she wasn't running a bar at all. Back then, Levin was the owner of the coffee shop Ghost Town. I felt a little out of place because I'm not a bartender, but I, you know, was a purveyor of beverages. Turning to her expertise, Levin was inspired by the cafe favorite, the London Fog. I made an Earl Grey infused vodka and a vanilla bean simple syrup. Levin then added milk and lemon juice to the infused vodka. The ensuing chemical reaction caused the milk to curdle and solidify, allowing it to be strained off and resulting in a clarified liquor. This method of clarification, Levin explains, has a history. Um, And it was something they did a lot in, like, the bathtub gin era of, like, prohibition when people were distilling their own alcohol because it makes your alcohol a lot smoother and cleaner and supposedly removes some of the impurities. While the cocktails might be the life of the party, they are not its direct purpose. The event is a major fundraiser for Pinhead, and the money brought in powers STEM programming for regional youth. Pinhead's executive director, Sarah Holbrook, shares some of the programming at the heart of Pinhead's mission. We bring really big minds in science, technology, engineering, and math to the school children. We bring them after-school classes, summer camps, um, and then we send high schoolers off on amazing internship experiences. Uh, And an intern this year costs us about $6,800 per kid, and there is absolutely no barrier to entry. They don't have to pay to apply. They don't have to pay for a plane ticket if they can't afford it. They don't have to pay for housing if they can't afford it. Current and past interns will be at the event, some returning from internship experiences as far afield as Luxembourg or Tel Aviv. They represent one of Pinhead's core programs, and Holbrook hopes that guests at the fundraiser will be as inspired by their work as she is. So the kids will be there wearing lab coats. We'll hope that the patrons will talk to them and hear about their amazing experiences as interns, and then these same people will be inspired to support us. That said, the party is a pretty rocking time. Holbrook pondered the all-important party question, what to wear? Oh my goodness. I mean, it's kind of hard to ask everybody to dress like a mad scientist, right? I think whatever makes you feel fabulous. Because you want to know what? You're going to go and you're going to have a great time. You're going to meet interesting people. You're going to hear really inspirational stories from the students. And so just just be open to receive and, and, and present your best self. Levin says that attire is important for competing mixologists as well. Costumes go a long way. We dressed up as cat lady tea party nerds, and that really tied it all together. So, Cocktails are served in miniature portions, so partygoers can try each drink responsibly. Nevertheless, Levin's advice for the attendees? Just make sure you eat beforehand, because it's a lot of fun. It's too much fun. <laughs> Information about all of Pinhead's programming and tickets to the event can be found at pinheadinstitute.org. For KOTO, this is Gavin McGough. Starting Saturday, people having a mental health crisis won't have to dial a 10-digit number to access help. Calling or texting the number 988 will direct individuals to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. According to the Crisis Lifeline, callers will be connected to trained counselors to listen, understand, provide support, and connect individuals to resources. 
Beginning July 16th, residents across the United States can call 988 to access the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The current number will also stay active at 1-800-273-8255. Give a person a fish, feed them for a day. Teach a person to fish, they could win a lot of money. This weekend, Colorado Parks and Wildlife will kick off the 8th annual Smallmouth Bass Fishing Tournament at Ridgeway State Park. According to CPW, over the years, anglers have helped the department in its effort to reduce the population of smallmouth bass, which were introduced illegally into Ridgeway Reservoir more than a decade ago. There are prizes. This year, fish will be internally tagged with numbers. Those who catch a winning tagged fish could get up to $5,000. To qualify, anglers must turn in smallmouth bass at the drop box located at the fish cleaning station near the state park boat ramp. Fish must be whole to be entered. The tournament runs from July 16th to September 8th. No registration is required. All that's needed is a Colorado fishing license. San Miguel County has some of the highest purchasing power in Colorado. That's according to Smart Asset, a financial technology company out of New York. Smart Asset looked at where living expenses are the most affordable based on income for residents. According to Smart Assets data, the cost of living in San Miguel County is just under $52,000 per year, with the average per capita income at nearly $94,000 per year. That makes the purchasing power at just under 50%. San Miguel County came in second for the best purchasing power, losing out only to Pitkin County, with a purchasing power of about 65%. In Utah, a fight over water rights on the Green River, a chief tributary to the Colorado River, is brewing. Some years ago, conservation group Grand Canyon Trust filed a lawsuit in Utah Federal District Court challenging the Bureau of Land Management's approval of utility rights-of-way for Enefit American Oil. Those rights were for building pipelines and transmission lines. Grand Canyon Trust argued the construction violated the Environmental Policy Act and threatened endangered species. But since the lawsuit, attorneys have discovered something else that seems fishy. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KZMU's Justin Higginbottom speaks with an attorney about the fate of the 10 million gallon per day water right impacting the Green River. Enefit plans to build the nation's first commercial-scale oil shale mine and processing plant. It'll be in the Uinta Basin near the confluence of the Green and White Rivers. That's upriver from Moab. That kind of mining takes a lot of water, something like four barrels of water for every barrel of oil. It's about 3.5 billion gallons of water per year. So really, that's a huge amount of water that Enefit needs to mine and process oil shale. And they're planning on getting all of that water from a single water right. That's Michael Toll. He's an attorney at the conservation group Grand Canyon Trust. And his organization has raised an administrative protest to who should have access to that water. In Utah, like other western states, water rights must be put to what the state calls beneficial use. That's things like agriculture or ranching or mining. An applicant has 50 years to use the water, or the right goes back to the public. Because in Utah and other western states, water is property of the public. It belongs to the public. The rule is meant to prevent speculation and hoarding. 
In 2013, Enefit was about to lose that water right as they waited on BLM approvals for construction of their plant. What Enefit did was transfer this extraordinarily valuable water right to Deseret Power, which is the owner of the Bonanza uh, coal-fired power plant up in the Uinta Basin, which is maybe 15 or so miles away from where Enefit plans to build its, its mine and plant. This was a smart move because there's an exception to that 50-year rule for wholesale electrical cooperatives like Deseret Power. Those companies plan decades into the future, and sometimes 50 years just isn't enough time. So they can apply for an extension, which is what Deseret Power did. And it did so by swearing that it needed that water to generate electricity to satisfy the public's future power demand. But that's not what happened. According to administrative documents obtained by Grand Canyon Trust, Deseret Power transferred the water right back to Enefit for $10. Now Enefit once again has the water right and likely enough time to put it to use. So again, before Deseret Power swore that it needed the water to generate electricity to meet the public's future power demand and got an extension of time from the Division of Water Rights on that basis, it signed a contract with Enefit entitling Enefit to the right to use all of that water for the next 30 plus years to mine and process oil shale. Toll says he doesn't have a contract between Deseret Power and Enefit, so he doesn't know what the power company got in return for transferring the water right. But it looks like Deseret Power helped Enefit avoid forfeiting access to a huge amount of water. And back to Grand Canyon Trust lawsuit, taking that water could have downstream effects. Truly disastrous environmental and public health impacts. You know, in the midst of an unprecedented drought and in the country's second driest state, the deal between Deseret Power and Enefit is depriving Utahns of billions of gallons of water that should be available to the public. The Utah Division of Water Rights will hold a hearing next Tuesday to decide who gets access to the nearly 10 million gallon per day water right on the Green River. Justin Higginbottom, Rocky Mountain Community Radio. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low in the mid-50s. Saturday should be partly sunny with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a high in the mid-70s. Saturday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a low around 55 degrees. Sunday expect mostly sunny skies during the day and mostly cloudy skies at night. The high is near 80 degrees with a low around 55. There is a chance of showers and thunderstorms. This has been the news for Friday, July 15th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.